Good morning. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be exploring the book of Ephesians for about the next 20-some weeks. And so let's read verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 1 to, to get us started. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that uh, you would open our eyes that we might see your Son, even as we uh, look at the introduction to this book, we pray that even in that, uh, we would uh, be focused on your son. So meet with us because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question comes, um, why Ephesians? When the pulpit committee meets to decide on future topics, part of the discussion is about the needs of the Bethany family. And so things that you've said to the elders, you've said to those of us on the pulpit committee, uh, have mentioned you would like to hear teaching on as we pray about the family needs that we see um, come up. And as we were discussing this, uh, topics uh, like uh, marriage and family, spiritual gifts and how to use them, the work of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, the authority of Christ, the gospel were all topics that were raised among others. And as we worked through those topics again and again and again, as we said, well, where would we look to talk about that topic? The book of Ephesians kept coming up. If you want to talk about spiritual gifts, there's only four books in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts. Ephesians is one of them. If you want to talk about teaching on the family, there's really only three books that deal with that in some depth, and one of them is Ephesians. And so as we uh, prayed about it and thought about it, it was decided that uh, Ephesians was the direction that we wanted to move. Secondly, it's an important book. Uh, J. Sidlew Baxter writes, although not nearly the longest of Paul's epistles, Ephesians is generally conceded to be the, the profoundest. There is a grandeur of conception about it, a majesty and dignity, a richness and fullness which are particular to it. Others have called it the crown of Paul's writings and Paul's third heaven epistle. Talking about the, the depth of the teaching that you find in the book of Ephesians. And, and from my own personal experience, I don't know if you underline your Bible, but as uh, I find things and I'm doing my personal reading, I often underline. And I went back to one of my older Bibles and I found out out of the 165 verses in Ephesians, I had 138 of them underlined, which says there's a lot of important truth in the book of Ephesians. And as I was thinking, uh, 165 verses, a little over 20 weeks, if, we wanted, if you wanted to memorize the book of Ephesians, it would work out to about a verse a day. And so I've decided personally, I have portions of it memorized, that I'm going to try to memorize the book of Ephesians while we go through this study. And if there's some of you that would like to join in that, we can encourage one another, uh, hold each other accountable. But it's, it's a good way 
to prayer. I also encourage you, as uh, Caleb will be taking us through the first six verses, that a couple times this coming week you read through those first six verses and, and pray for Caleb as he's going to prepare and speak. Pray for yourself as you hear uh, the teaching on those six verses. Because this is a very important book. The theme of the book is the mystery of the church. The word mystery occurs six times in the book. In the New Testament, a mystery is a truth not revealed before, but now made known. And the truth that's being revealed in the book of Ephesians is that believing Jews and Gentiles are now going to be one body in Christ, joint heirs of salvation and the glory that is to come. Now, Paul's epistles are not arranged chronologically, but rather typically or topically in three groups. And within each group, there's a pattern. First, the presentation of the doctrine, then a letter or letters of reproof, reproving wrong conduct that's not in line with the truth of the doctrine, and then a letter of correction, correcting wrong doctrine. The first uh, grouping is Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, and Galatians. And the topic is salvation, Christ and the cross. And so Romans lays out the doctrine, justification by faith, uh, or by grace through faith. That's how we're saved. It's by grace through faith. You come to First and Second Corinthians and there's reproof. In First Corinthians, it's reproof of those who heard the message. So they're suing each other in court. There's immorality. There's division. That doesn't line up with the truth of the gospel laid out in Romans. In Second Corinthians, it's those who are presenting the gospel. They're misdoing it. And Paul corrects that. And then you come to Galatians, and there's false doctrine. Paul talks about it, uh, there being another gospel, the gospel of legalism. And so you have those groupings. And our group is the second group, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And that deals with the church, Christ as head of his church. And Ephesians lays out who the church is in Christ and what the church is meant to be in the world. Did you catch that? who the church is in Christ and what the church is meant to be in the world. And so you come to Philippians and there's some reproof because some people are preaching from selfish ambition. There's some division in the church. You come to Colossians and there's some doctrinal problems where there's false teaching, uh, teaching the Colossians to seek spiritual fulfillment through experiences, ritual Rituals and asceticism instead of in Christ. And then the last group is First and Second Thessalonians, which deal with the comings of Christ, the rapture. We talked about a few weeks ago where Christ comes for the believers in the air. And then the revelation when Christ comes with the believers uh, to the earth to reign. And again, First uh, Thessalonians gives the doctrine and First and Second Thessalonians give the reproof and correction. So we're going to be looking at the church, who we are in Christ, and what God means for us to be in the world. I'm going over some of this kind of quickly, and I apologize for that, because there's something at the end I particularly want to get to. Um, so the author is Paul. It's actually the Holy Spirit 
through the human agency of Paul. And we need to never forget, as we look at the book of Ephesians, that these are the very words of God. So who is Paul? Well, most of us are familiar with him. His original name was Saul. He was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. In Philippians, he calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews, which means that he uh, grew up in a religiously orthodox family that spoke Hebrew and kept the Mosaic regulations. They didn't, like many Jews, adopt the Greek culture and, and way of living. Uh, he was born in Tarsus. We moved to a map. Uh, Tarsus is, is right down here in southeast. This is modern Turkey and right there. Um, probably around 1 AD. He was born with Roman citizenship. We're not exactly sure why that was. At an early age, he moved to Jerusalem. Perhaps his family saw that this young man had real potential, so they moved to Jerusalem, where he was educated, he says, at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the greatest rabbis of the Jewish faith. He was a counselor to the entire Herodian line. Uh, he had that um, amount of clout. He joined the Pharisees, one of the strictest of the Jewish sects. He was a leader in the persecution of the Christians. He was converted and called by Christ himself on the road to Damascus. Later, he would complete three missionary journeys, taking the gospel to what is today modern Turkey and Greece. And at the time of the writing of Ephesians, he's imprisoned in Rome, awaiting trial. The book is written around 60 AD from Rome. Paul's in prison. I want you to keep that date in mind. That, that'll be important uh, a little later. There is... Um, I'm sorry. There's strong external evidence to Paul's um, authorship of Ephesians. In, in more recent years, there's been some attacks on Paul being the author of Ephesians because there's vocabulary words that are not found in any of his other letters. But uh, the external evidence is extraordinary uh, as uh, most of the early church leaders, when they wrote, if they quoted from Ephesians, universally they either said, this is what the Apostle Paul says or this is what the Apostle says. As well, when you, when you look at the internal evidence, um, two-thirds of the 95 verses of Colossians are clearly paralleled in the book of Ephesians. So this certainly is uh, a writing of Paul, and we can have confidence in that. We're going to talk a little bit about Paul and Ephesus, um, and some of this, well, I'll drift back here first. Ephesus had the title, the Supreme Metro Metropolitan uh, of Asia. It was the largest city of the Roman province of Asia at this time. About uh, it, Numbers vary because they went into a decline later, but somewhere around 300 to 350,000 people, which makes it about three times the size of Waterloo Cedar Falls. So it's a, it's a pretty um, large city. It was an important commercial center. It had a seaport. Three main roads converged in Ephesus, 
one of those roads went to the east and it went all the way over to the Euphrates River. It was an important political center. It was self-governing. There were no Roman troops stationed there. The Roman govern governor would come through regularly to try cases. And it was an important religious center as the Temple of Diana or Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was there. And the, the temples of the ancient world were also the banks because no one would attack a temple of a god, so your money was deemed to be safe there. And some have called the Temple of Diana the Bank of England of the ancient world. It was a major financial uh, institution as well. Paul's visits, um, if we, we go to the map here, on the first missionary journey, uh, Paul came out of Antioch of Syria up here. They came over to Cyprus, then they came up, and they did the Galatian area and came back home, uh, Paul and Barnabas. Then with Silas, he later came back through, visited these, but we're told in Acts uh, that he was forbidden to go into the Roman province of Asia. So they came up north. They were forbidden to go into Bithynia and Pontus, so they came over here to Troas, where he had the Macedonian vision of a man from over here in Greece calling Paul to come and preach the gospel from them and, and taking into consideration God blocking them from, from Asia and Bithynia. And this dream that Paul had, they decided God was calling them to go to what is modern-day Greece. And, of course, they established churches at Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and and. Paul spent the, most of the second missionary journey there. But on his way back from Corinth, which is over in here, he stopped at Ephesus and met the synagogue there and left Aquila and Priscilla, um, who were traveling with him there while he went to Jerusalem. So on the third missionary journey, when, when Paul came up, he again visited the assemblies they established, but this time he went to Ephesus. And we're told in Acts 19, he spent three months preaching Christ in the synagogue. Paul always went to the synagogue first. That's where those who knew the Old Testament would be. That's where the, the Gentiles who had come to believe in, in the one God of the Old Testament would be there. And, and it was a, a good place to start an evangelistic ministry. After three months, there was a great deal of opposition uh, to Paul by those in the synagogue who didn't respond to the gospel message. And so he, he left there and uh, he went to the, to the um, school of uh, Tyrannus, Acts 8, 19, verses 8 through 10, where for two years he taught. And we read in Acts 19, 10, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, there are 230 towns and cities in the Roman province of Asia. Now, Paul probably didn't go out and speak at all those places, but men like Epaphras, who, who probably founded the church at Colossae, came to know the gospel by hearing Paul, uh, was discipled by Paul, and he would send these men out. And so a lot Asia became a very bright Christian spot. We know of a lot of the churches there. Colossae, Hierophilus, Sardis, Smyrna, uh, Philadelphia, 
Thyatira, Laodicea. All these churches were established during that time where Paul was two years in, in Ephesus. There was a riot because a, a, a silversmith by the name of Demetrius recognized that there was falling uh, orders for his little shrine, silver shrines to Artemis, and he caused a riot because he realized that if Paul was allowed to continue, the handwriting was on the wall. And, uh, and Paul, shortly after that, leaves um, uh, Ephesus, goes... He's going on a collection through Corinth and, and up in Macedonia to collect money because there's a famine in the land of Israel to, to help uh, the Christians who are in need. And he comes back through um, Ephesus, but he doesn't stop at Ephesus. He comes, and he comes down to Miletus, and he heads back um, to Jerusalem. And... Shortly after that, he's arrested, and three years later, he finds himself in Rome. One more uh, uh, question that we want to take up. Sometimes Ephesians is referred to as a possible circular letter, not written to one church, but shared widely. And the reason for that is the words in Ephesus are not found in the three oldest and most reliable manuscripts we have of the Old Testament. Um, widely, in the other manuscripts, the words in Ephesus are there. Also, uh, we have several early church leaders who, who, who made commentaries on the book of, of Ephesians, and they remarked that the manuscript they had didn't have the words in Ephesus uh, in their manuscripts. Also, there's no... Uh, church issues that Paul addresses in the book. And there's no personal greetings. Even in Romans, there's a lot of personal greetings. And here's a place where Paul spent three years, or two and a, two and a half, almost two and a half years, ministering in this church, and there's no greetings. He even met with the elders later, and there's no greetings to, to any of these people. And so people say, well... Uh, why is that? And, and the thought is that uh, perhaps it, it was meant to be more of a circular letter. Uh, I think the best solution, the one that's been, been around for hundreds of years, is there was one copy sent to Ephesus, which was the main, uh, the main center. And then maybe there was one or more copies that were sent that didn't have any city name in it. And people from Ephesus would go out to these other uh, churches in, in Asia and perhaps even beyond that and just put in the church's name uh, when they visited. But the, the copies they had didn't have the name. And it also explains some of, of the content. Let's talk a little bit about the content. If you would flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, a very familiar verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And in this verse, you kind of have the two parts of the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are doctrinal, which is often what Paul did. First part of the book, doctrinal. Second part of the book was practical. And here he says, listen, we're we're his workmanship in Christ Jesus. 
And in the practical, we're created unto good works, which God has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. And it talks about how we should walk. And so a lot of times with commentaries, you'll see this twofold division reflected in their outlines. Bill McDonald, the believer's portion in Christ, chapters 1 through 3, the believer's practice in the Lord, chapters 4 through 6, our wealth in Christ, our walk in Christ, the calling of the church, the conduct of the church. The first, first three chapters detail what we have in Christ, and the second, how we should live in Christ. And this word walk that we first find here in chapter 2, verse 10, will be repeated five times in chapters 4 and 5. Uh, we'll be talking about a group walk, because you don't walk alone. He intends for you to be part of a body. Talk about a changed life walk, not like the Gentiles were to have a changed life. He'll talk about walking in love. He'll talk about walking as children of light. He'll talk about walking in wisdom. And so all of these are little snapshots of the way we're meant to live in this world. Sometimes you'll see a threefold division. Um, the second half will be divided because chapter 6 speaks of warfare. Watchman Nee, who was a leader in the church in China, said Ephesians describes the three aspects of the believer, to God, to man, and to the enemy. And so he entitled his book to reflect that, Sit, Walk, Stand, from, from specific verses in the book of Ephesians. And he summarized the book this way. The Christian life consists of sitting with him, Christ, walking by him, and standing in him. We begin our spiritual life by resting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. That rest, the first three chapters, is the source of our strength for a consistent and unfaltering walk in the world. At the end of a grueling um, battle with the host of darkness, we are found standing with him at last in triumphant possession of the field. So that's come back some background to the book of Ephesians. But now we, we come to really the most important um, question. Why should you come to 20 sessions on the book of Ephesians? Why? Good. Right where I want you to be. Why should you read the verses every week ahead of time? Why should you pray for the speaker and pray for yourself that God speaks to you through those verses? Why should you perhaps even take the uh, challenge of memorizing the book of Ephesians? What benefit is there for you? Turn over to chapter 3 of Ephesians. We're going to read the last two verses of the chapter, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Now I want you to imagine that suddenly this morning an angel appears right here. And he says, beloved saints at Bethany, 
God has decided to answer every request you've made of God in the past week. How would God answering every request you've made in the past week affect your life? How would it affect your life of your family? How would it affect the life of Bethany family? How would it have affected the Cedar Valley? How would it have affected the world? But notice it doesn't just say he has the ability to do far more abundantly than all that we ask. He says, or think. Suppose that angel says, and even better news. Sometimes God knows you have heart's desires that you can't even express. So every wish you've had last week, he's going to grant. How would that affect your life, your family, the Bethany family, Cedar Valley, or the world? As a child of God, the scripture teaches me I have the ear of God. There are times when God really answers prayer. If you were here as part of then the Downey Avenue Gospel Chapel family in 1999, you would have seen answer prayer after answer prayer. An elders retreat was held and we said, we can't fit in the building anymore. Hiving hasn't worked. Moving to the gym hasn't worked. We've got to build. By the way, the elders are meeting this weekend. Those elder retreats often have a great uh, impact on the assembly. Pray for the elders this weekend as they're away, asking God for direction for, for this body of believers. The elders came back and said, we've got we to gotta build. We've got a three-year plan. We're going to list the building immediately. We figured it will take one one and a half to two years to sell it. In the meantime, we're going to look for land. We've got about $100,000 that we can spend on land. And then we're going to have to go somewhere. We don't know where. Uh, when our building sold. But it, probably in three years, maybe a little longer, we'll have a building. The next day, one of our people shared with a co-worker that we were selling our building. He said, oh, our church is looking for a building. Two days later, the pastor was through it. Then the the leadership team of the church, by the end of the week, they said, we'll work out the details. We're buying your place. We thought one and a half to two years. God said, no, one week. We went looking for land. We looked at where this, the Christian school across the way was. Up near the highway, they won $20,000 an acre. Down from the highway, they won $10,000 an acre. We only had 100000 We said, well, which is better? So we went to a man who had been in this church who knows farm ground. We said, which is better? He said, well, what about this land? We said, we don't even know if it's for sale. We don't know how much it costs. He said, it's not for sale. I own it. I'll give you 20 acres. One of them said, well, it sits low. He says, I've got a hill over here. I'll scrape the black dirt off the hill. You scrape the black dirt off this land, and I'll move that hill over here. And he brought over 15 feet of fill. And we had $100,000 that we thought we were going to spend on land. 
Then the, the place we sold the building to said, hey, you got land. You need to move out so we can move in. We said, where are we going to move? There was a man who was in the Sunday school of this place who said, I have three empty commercial buildings that I'm trying to lease, and I'm going to remodel them and lease them once I get leases signed. You can stay there until I, I have some guys I'm negotiating with, but you, know, you can have a month after I've signed the lease, and then you can move out. You don't have to pay any rent. Just pay utilities and the insurance for your own stuff, the insurance on the building I'll pay. God didn't let him sell those buildings for a whole year. <laughs> we sat there comfortably till this place was far enough along that we could move in. Then he said, hey, please pray that it sells, would you? <laughs> and we could go through hundreds of little stories. You can go to Brian and Ann uh, Saturday and ask how much the sign on the wall of the building cost. And you'll be amazed. As God answered, little prayer, little prayer, little prayer, little prayer, little prayer, again and again and again. You can, you can ask um, others who have gone through times where God has answered prayer after prayer. You can ask Judy Campman what it, how God's answered prayer over the last week. God has these seasons. Now, they had seen it in Ephesus, the gospel spread with such impact that people who were involved in the old cult left it and they burned all their magic books, equal to 50,000 pieces of silver. I checked it and one guy said, think a million dollars. And they burned those books because they found faith in Christ. They had seen God really work. And Paul says, look, I've been gone three years. I want you, I want you to understand who Christ is, who you are in Christ, and what God can do through you. Well, what do you do? Well, see, we have another letter, not from Paul, to unbelievers talking 50 years later. One is a man by the name of Pliny. He has now been made governor of Bithynia. We're in the third of the Roman persecutions of Christians. Nero persecuted Christians, Diocletian persecuted Christians, and Trajan persecuted Christians. Christianity's been outlawed in the Roman government. Trajan's persecution is we don't pursue Christians, but if they, we're made aware of them and they won't recant of it, then we will punish them. And, and Pliny's here in Bithynia. He's had a bunch of people accused of being Christians. He's not sure what to do. He writes a long letter to Trajan saying, this is what I've done. This is what I've discovered. Is this in line? And Trajan answers him. But as part of that letter, he talks about what's happening now compared to the past. He says, it's certainly clear that the temples, which had been almost deserted, the impact of the gospel was that the temples were deserted until this persecution came along and you had to kind of prove you weren't a Christian. And so people were flocking back somewhat to the temples, had begun to be frequently. And the long-established religious rites, rites long neglected, 
A lot of the things that were done in the pagan temples for a long time had been neglected. Why? Because the power of the gospel had come in, are being resumed, and that from everywhere, sacrificial animals are coming for which until now very few purchasers could be found. And Paul is reminding the Ephesians that what you saw in that burst of those two years when there I was there in Ephesus, God, because of who Christ is, because of who you are in Christ, if you grab a hold of that and you live like God means for you to live in the world, you're going to see changes happen. What will they say about Bethany 50 years from now? If the Lord be not coming, I can't possibly conceive that that's going to be true. I don't want them to say, you know, they had a good run and they built some nice buildings. You see, buildings are not the end. They're the means to a greater end. And so the book of Ephesians is meant, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, they all highlight the power of the Lord Jesus. You'll find passages in all those books that emphasize his power. Because if we believe he's as powerful as he is, we'll believe he'll keep his promises and give us the blessings he's promised to us. And then it wants us to see who we are in Christ. Over 30 times in the book of Ephesians, you'll find the words in Christ or in him. And then he wants to help us understand it so we can live as God means for us to live in the world. And if we do that, we will make the kind of difference that they made that Pliny said, boy, the temples have been deserted. Nobody's doing any of these pagan rites. They're not offering sacrifices because they saw believers who knew who they were in Christ, and they were living as God meant for them to live in this world. And that's what the book of Ephesians is about. It expresses God's heart for who we can be, actually who we are, and we need to realize it, and what he can do through us. That's why you should come. That's why you should read the passages ahead of time. That's why you should pray, God, speak to my heart so I get a hold of these truths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. You have preserved it. You have brought it down. You have done the wonder of wonders. You've put it into our language in a number of translations so we can easily read it. We have it in our hands, we have it on our shelves. God, we pray over the next 20 weeks that you will transfer that from our hands to our hearts. That you'll help us to possess this truth, to understand it and possess it as Paul prays that it would happen. And we pray that our walk begins to be how you meant us to walk in this world and our warfare is done standing firm in him. So, Father, speak to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.